Uh, please keep me in, in prayer this week. I'll be headed to the Dallas area to do the prayer retreat that I've been doing a couple times a year. Uh, so I'll be um, spending some time praying for, for you guys. And um, please just keep me, keep me in prayer while, while I'm out there spending spend some time with God and thinking about uh, where God is uh, continuing to call us as, as, as a church family. And we're continuing our series called uh, The Weight of Words. And the one thing I hope you get out of this series is that your words weigh a few of you have it. They're, that's good. We're getting close. Your words, your words weigh a lot. The things that you say, they deeply matter. And I think oftentimes we just don't think it's that big of a deal. That we can just say whatever we want to and then say, well, sorry, you know, I was hangry or whatever. We can kind of just say, oh, sorry, you know, I, I was, had this. And you can say whatever your excuse happens to be. But the issue is, like, there's been things in your life that you've said to some people. And you know, you just like, you can't take it back. And no matter how many times you've apologized or how many times you've said, like, I'm really sorry about that, they still bring that up as, like, their trump card. But remember that one time you said this to me? And it's like, oh, man, well, that was a really wrong thing for me to say. And the issue is that our words weigh a lot. The things that we say, they deeply matter. And I think we just think it's not that big of a deal. I think sometimes it's especially true of, of my generation, the generation that was raised with like electronic communication via text or email or anything. We're the generation that made cards against humanity. And if you haven't played that, don't. But um, we just think that our words just don't really matter all that much. We can just say or do whatever we want. And then just like, it doesn't really matter. We just put it out there and it doesn't make a difference. But in fact, it does. Just yesterday, I got the opportunity, one of my favorite things to do as a minister is to um, be part of someone's wedding day, and uh, Jesus and Rikisha got married yesterday in our church building, which was awesome. Yeah, they, they aren't here today because they're enjoying married life. I think they're uh, taking a little trip today, and the next week they're going to go to Vegas for a little honeymoon time, but they wanted to send along their love, and they're so thankful to our church family for the ways that we have welcomed them and, and loved them. They got baptized uh, just a few weeks ago, and I got to talk with um, Jesus's mom, who uh, lives around um, Mexico City, and uh, so she didn't speak any English, but she just told me a very long thing in Spanish that I recognize about one out of every five words, and uh, it was She's, she's so encouraged and so thankful for the way that we have, have welcomed them um, into our family. But what's interesting is thinking about what, what happened between them yesterday. It was at 2 o'clock in, in this room. Um, what they did is they exchanged some words. Generally, we think of the phrase exchanging words as a bad thing, but um, they said some words to each other, right? They said some things, they exchanged vows, and they made commitments, and what they did is they shared words. And what is it about that moment or that time that's any more sacred than any other moment? And I would argue it's not. It's not more sacred. It's more special, perhaps, because it's, it's your wedding day. But it's not more sacred. Because every moment is a sacred opportunity because we believe that, you know, we are created in the image of God, and so the words that we share whether it's on a wedding day, a really significant moment like that, or just on a random Tuesday in November, the words that we share with people, they matter. And it makes a huge difference and impact. And I have to tell you, one of the hard things about doing a series like this is it's so practical. And so there's many times that I've recognized how I've screwed up because when I think about series, I'm like three months ahead of you guys. And then like as I'm preaching it, like I'm I'm going through it again, thinking about how I messed this up. Um, A few weeks ago, uh, Carter and I were playing in the backyard and uh, he was dressed, he had an old Halloween costume that was a fire engine. So he was dressed in that and some fire stuff. We were playing out in the backyard and I was going to different places and saying, come on, we need your help over here. And I ran up into um, the 
the, the front yard on the outside of our street, and I was like, Carter, there's a fire up here. There's a fire up here. And Janelle comes running out of her house. Um, <laughs> and luckily, luckily, I did it in front of someone that I know, because otherwise they would probably think I was like the dumbest person ever. Like, who are you? What are you doing running around yelling fire? And this was, again, like as this series was going on. Just a few weeks ago, there was a, a visitor here at church, and I was kind of explaining to her some of the ministries that we have here, and I was saying, you know, we have a, a young adult ministry that goes on, and she said, well, who's that for? And I said, it's 20 to yeah, 35-ish, something like that. And I said, how old are you? This is the wrong question. I don't, I've never done that before. Um, and she said, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but I want you to guess. I know, I know. Um, my guess was 27, and she said that's a very good guess, and she just left it at that and let me walk away. Um, I, unfortunately, I haven't seen her since then, so uh, especially after that happened, and then I got up and preached about using words wisely. She's probably like, I'm not I'm never coming back to that church again. That guy's a hypocrite. I mean, hopefully she does come back, but... And it's amazing, as I'm preaching a series on the importance of words, like those are just a couple examples of when I've caught myself, like putting my foot in my mouth. And that's what James in the New Testament writes about. He says, like, your tongue is untamable. Like, it is, it is a fire, and don't act like it's not a big deal. Every tongue should come with a warning label. And even if you're, like, thinking about this a lot, like I've been trying to think about this a lot, it's still going to, like, not work all the time. Even if you're trying your best to use your words as you should and trying to use them to bless other people, it's still not going to work. But we need to have an awareness of just how impactful our words are. And again, just the hope that we'll learn, I'll be preaching one more week on this next week, that our words weigh a lot. And so the writer of the book of James, who is Jesus' brother, he says, like, this is very practical, and he talks a lot about that concept. And then Paul writes about this as well. In Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1 through chapter 3, is all about like who we are in Christ. What this means, because now you are, are followers of Christ. He's writing to this church in Ephesus. This is what this means. And Ephesians is 1 through 3, is some of the most beautiful language about what it means to be called by God. And it ends in Ephesians chapter 3, the last section of Ephesians 3, with maybe the most beautiful words in Scripture where it talks about like, and now I kneel before the Father, and I pray that you would understand like how big and wide is the love of Christ. If you do nothing else but read the end of Ephesians 3 for the rest of the sermon, that's good. You can just check out and do that because it's wonderful, beautiful language. And then Paul transitions over after these first three chapters basically establishing all this theology. He then turns and says, okay, now this is who you are in Christ, but we're not just going to leave it there. Let's put some flesh and bone on it. Like this is what this now means. You have to act in certain ways. You have to live in certain ways. It's going to change the way that you make a difference and live in the world. So beginning in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, he says, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. So Paul is writing and just saying, those who are outside the Christian faith, they don't really have anything to guide them. They don't have something that is calling them to live differently, but I am trying to call you and instill in you that you would live differently. And these people, they just kind of do whatever they want. 
And I would argue that oftentimes when it comes to our words, that's kind of how we think. We can just use whatever words we want. It doesn't really matter. We can just put those things out into the world. And so Paul is encouraging them to think about the ways that they might live into a higher calling. And then he continues in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24, and says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And the image that he uses is basically like putting on new clothes to be made in new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So you were taught that you were supposed to live with a newness, that you were supposed to walk with this new sense of who you are, a new identity in Christ. And that's awesome. And if we were to think about that, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian and trying to figure out what it is to maybe is what it, we're called to do to live a good life. We might think about like the Ten Commandments and those things as things that we would say, you know, you should probably follow this or don't do that or you should do this. And if you think about all the good things that you might say about, well, you're now trying to live a better life, like here's what you should probably do. And there's lots of practical things that we could talk about and say you probably should do this, you probably should avoid that, and you should walk in this sort of life. You could come up with a lot of different things. But it's fascinating that just as James talks about the importance of the tongue and how dangerous it is, and we often think often about like the things that we do and not the things that we say, but James wants us to get, think about the things that we say, and Paul does the same thing after spending all of this time talking about how important it is to, to understand exactly who we are in Christ and what that means and walking in this newness of life. He then gives this passage, which is so practical and easy to just kind of slap us in the face. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. That's not a lot of wiggle room there, right? Not just, you know, well, you can talk how you want to whenever you want to. Do not let any, and the Greek word behind that word means any, <laughs> do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Only what is helpful for building others up. Only say things to other people that ultimately are going to be beneficial to them. They're going to be good for them. The word unwholesome there, literally in the Greek, it means like the smell of rotting fish. And so it's not just bad breath, it's like horrible breath. Don't let that unwholesome stuff come out of your mouth. Understand that the words that you use, they matter. You can't just throw them around, you can't just say things. Understand that this is absolutely critical because your words, they weigh a lot. Paul isn't saying don't tell the truth because sometimes the truth needs to be said and sometimes that ultimately is beneficial to somebody. But he's saying understand that you can't just, just say things to people or, or text things to people or email things to people. Email is probably the most dangerous that there is. I've thought about creating a website called like email it here before you email it there where you could like have like that email that you're sending at two in the morning not really thinking through it and it's a lot of caps like wait until a while and let that thing simmer a bit. But we can just think we release these things in the world. It's not that big of a deal. We can say what we want to. But 
Paul says, don't let anything come out of your mouth that's not beneficial to those who would hear it. That it'll be a blessing to them that ultimately it would build them up. When I was a, a sophomore in college, I studied in, in Heidelberg, Germany, and over the Christmas break, I was coming home to see my parents, and I was going through security, and I had, like, all of my belongings on my back, basically. And as I was going through security, this was post-9-11, pretty soon after that, so the security was, like, heightened during that time. And I put my bag through security, and the security guard said, well, do you have any weapons with you? And I said, oh, I'm studying to be a minister. No, I, I'm not. I don't have any weapons with me. And then he goes rifling through my bag for a minute, and he says, what about this? And he pulled out a butter knife that I had, like, been traveling with to, like, spread Nutella on bread. And it was basically like a Sherlock Holmes mystery. He's like, well, what about this? And I was just like, I I have, like, a nine-hour flight, so I guess I might be able to do something on somebody for, like, with a butter knife, just like, really, if you're really going to town, but he's like, I'm going to have to take this away from you, sir. And so he, he threw it away. It was fine. I mean, it wasn't that big of a deal, but it was one of those moments. I'm like, do we have to be this dramatic about this? Like, do we have to really uh, care that much? But I think Paul would say that we need to care that much about the words that we use to understand that there's like some sort of security that we should run through as we think about sharing words with people, that we should care that it's not just we can throw these things around. It's not that big of a deal that the things that sometimes we think aren't all that harmful, they can end up destructing things in the world. So what would it look like for you to understand that the words that you use should be beneficial to those who listen? They should build up those who listen. They should be a blessing to those who listen. Imagine if you had those conversations. I shared with you that statistically people say we have about 30 different conversations per day. What if every conversation you had this week, you just thought, okay, I just want to build this person up. Like that was your goal. I want to be a blessing in this conversation. I want to encourage him. I want to encourage her. I want to say things that are going to be important. And that, again, doesn't necessarily mean that you're always going to be nice. Sometimes being the most helpful or beneficial, I think, is saying hard things. But even then, try and communicate those things in love. One of my friends in ministry, uh, Chris Seedman, a while back, um, put this on, on Twitter. He said, confrontation isn't easy. So if you're ever in a moment like this, don't expect someone who confronts you to do it perfectly. Some will be too blunt. Others won't be clear enough. Ask God for the grace to hang in there long enough to glean the truth you need to hear. So if you're ever on the receiving end of one of those conversations, I hope that you remember that, that it's always difficult to be in those moments. But if you're somebody who has a hard thing to share with somebody, may you do it in grace and love. May you think about, okay, I know this is maybe hard that I need to share with this person, but I still want to try and build him or her up. This is my goal. This is what I'm trying to aim. This is what I'm trying to do. And what if you just had that as your thought. Like, I know that generally, like, I want to get my word in. I want to say the thing that makes people laugh. I want to try to make a point. I want to get my point across. And we grow up in the generation of the cable news network where every time you turn on the TV, it seems like someone's yelling at someone else. It's even more ridiculous when it's about sports, but I like to watch those shows where they're arguing about, like, contracts, and will the Lakers ever be back again? And it's like they're yelling at each other, and it's like, I don't think the Lakers are ever being back. I'm sorry. It's going to be a long time for us. It's been a long time. It's going to continue to be. 
But we can communicate like that too. We're like, I want to get my point across. I want to get my word in. I want to say the thing that, that I need to say. What if we were to approach conversations and relationships in a different way? To say, I want to try to build that person up. I want to say something that's going to be an encouragement to him. I want to share a word that's encouraging to her. I think sometimes God watches our communication and thinks about the fact that we all bear the image of God inside of us and thinks, I understand you're trying to say that, but you're just demolishing him or her. You need to be graceful in how you say it. Like, she bears my image. He bears my image. Be graceful in how you share this. Be graceful in how this happens. Be graceful in how you, you talk about people. Be graceful about that. Paul continues um, in verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. So in the ways that you communicate, the ways that you share words with people, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Let that stuff go. Because it's often our actions that we get in trouble for when it comes to using anger. But it's often the, the words where we store our anger. If you're angry with someone and you're just talking to someone about that person that you're angry with, it's the words that like stores the anger and then eventually like it turns into actions. But what Paul is saying is get rid of all of this stuff. Cut it off at the the head of it. Don't don't just allow yourself to continue to talk in this way because the words that, that you share, they deeply matter. They make a difference. They really direct your life. Paul says, get rid of all of this stuff. Don't, like, continue to let it work through your words. I loved how uh, Charlie shared last week about using sarcasm in his life, and he realized after a while that it wasn't necessarily helping him gain friends, (laughs) but after a while, he realized, like, making that negative joke, like, it wasn't necessarily the right way to continue to have friends. And I definitely had moments like that in my life, too, where I just came to realize the joke's not always worth it. And I still make that mistake from time to time. Just ask Mandy. It happens from time to time. After a while, you just have to recognize you can't just just say whatever you want to say, and it doesn't affect you or the people around you. If you're letting that unwholesome stuff come out of your mouth, eventually it's going to make a negative difference. Once again, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. If you could get this right, like one day next week, how much could you bless the world? Because it's so easy to talk about on a Sunday morning, but then like when you get out of here and things get stressful and things get hard and, and the temperature goes up a little bit in your life and you've had a long commute to work and that person cuts you off and you've gone through the things that are tough and you have some customers you're dealing with who are pretty upset about something and it's just a really frustrating moment for you, it'd be really hard to like actually live this one out. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But Paul's call on our life is profound. In the um, 
book of Ephesians, a word that he uses consistently is, is kainos. It's a Greek word. And when we think about new, there's different kinds of new, but we use new for all of these different things. But there's different words for new in the Greek. Um, one word is, is neos. And neos is basically like this idea of a continuation, but it's a new thing. For example, if you bought the 2019 Mercedes, some new car. It's a new version of the car, but it's like pretty similar. It's like back in the day, I used to get the new Madden NFL every year and tried to convince myself there was a lot new in the game, but really there wasn't all that much. But you have to go buy it because you just have to. And that's the idea that it's like it's this new thing, but it's not like completely new on its own. But what Paul is trying to communicate to this group of Christians is this idea of newness in this word, kainos. And kainos means like completely new in time that this never existed before. It's like the Wright brothers' plane, like that changed history, right? And all of a sudden, like, things are just different because of this. It's a new method of transportation. It's a new baby who's born into the world. Like, this idea is just completely new. This, This thing is not just like, oh, it's this new in time. And so over and over again, Paul is writing to this group of Christians, and he's trying to say, you are completely new. You're not like, oh, a little bit better version. Oh, now you're a Christian, so you're like a 7% better version of the old self. Oh, he's saying you are completely new. You're different. There's a different way about you. You should have a different sort of substance. So you can't just do everything that everybody else does, and you can't just talk like everybody else talks. There's a certain way that you have to live. Imagine if we could get this right. That in the relationships that we have, the way that we communicate with people this week, we would just have a certain way of talking and communicating that's different than everybody else. There's a a financial author named David Bach who writes about the latte factor. And he says that if you spend $4.25 on a latte, which is actually cheap to some of like the specialty coffee restaurants that are out there, but if you just save that $4.25 per latte, and put that into a savings account and got 7% overtime interest on that. After 30 years, that latte uh, would turn into around $110,000. Just if you didn't have that latte. I don't want to pick on latte people, because I've actually become one a little bit. Not every day, but every once in a while. And maybe that's the way that, that you survive the world and the stresses of life. That's okay. But what his point is, is that Small, positive things make a huge difference in the aggregate. And we know this is true. If you're somebody who enjoys going to the gym, not every time that you go to the gym do you get like a new bicep. But we know that slowly making that choice over and over again in time makes a difference. I think church participation is somewhat similar, that Every time you come to church isn't this powerful aha moment. But there's times that when we are gathered together that something really powerful happens, it's very moving to us, and we do get to experience God. And if you come and it's not your day, then just pray that it's someone else's. These decisions that we make, the small positive things, make a huge difference in the whole. And I think Paul would say there's maybe no more practical place for that than your words. Because think about this for, for your relationships. Like, if, if you're married or you have a roommate, like, every day you come home, and you have a choice. You have a pretty good relationship. Things are going pretty well between you, and you have a choice. You could, you know, if you're a roommate, go to your separate rooms, 
watch, watch Netflix and not really have a conversation. And that's okay every once in a while. But if you consistently make that choice, you can kind of just grow further and further apart. The same is true in any sort of relationship. So if you come home and you decide, you know, I really want to have a good conversation with my spouse. I don't want to just talk about, like, the regular stuff. I want to have a good conversation. Like, it, it makes a difference. And it may feel like just a penny. It may not feel like it's all that significant. But slowly over time, this is how people either grow together or grow apart. This is why there's certain people who you haven't talked with in a really, really long time, and then, like, you get back together with them, and it's not that you've had negative conversations or anything, it's just you haven't really talked, but you get back together with them, and it's so fun because you've shared some really powerful words. And there's people who you get back together with, and you just say, it's like time didn't even pass because we've had, like, such positive experiences. When it comes to the people who are actually around us every single day, though, it makes a huge difference. The words that we share with each other and choosing to say, I'm not just going to like check out here and not really talk to you. I'm going to actually make the effort to have a real conversation. And again, it might not feel like much, but every day dropping this in is what makes a huge difference over time. It may not feel like it's world changing, but it's absolutely monumental. I've talked before about the um, relationship guy who writes about that one of the American dreams, one of the, the myths really, is that the thought is that as long as you have this exciting vacation coming up, then everything's going to be all right. So you can like ignore your relationship and you can each work 80 hours a week. And then when you are in Hawaii and you're on the beach and you're having that wonderful meal because you've worked so hard to get it, you're sitting out there, it's wonderful, you have a steak dinner or whatever it is that you like, you're sitting there like under um, great cocktail lights on the beach enjoying this meal and you have absolutely nothing to talk about. And you've worked so hard, and you've saved, and you've made all this effort, and you're sitting there, and you have nothing to talk about. Because what matters in all relationships is this. Dropping it in every single day. Communicating with people in ways that are positive, that are beneficial, that is sometimes a difficult conversation, but ultimately said in love, and ultimately just working to build each other up. Because small things over time make a huge difference. Words make a huge difference. There was a study done several years ago by a lady named Susan Langer, and they, they went to 100 women who cleaned hotels for a living. And they asked these 100 women, um, do you get exercise? And 84 of the 100 said, no, we don't get exercise. There were 16 who said, yes, we do get exercise. So they said, well, get out of here. I don't know. I don't know how they got rid of them, but they... Ask them to leave quietly or something. So the 84 who were left who said, no, I, I don't get any exercise, they split them into two groups. The first group of 42, they said, all right, well, we're just going to meet back with you in a month from now. Just go ahead and go, go on your way. But the other 42, they um, gathered with them individually and said to this group, actually, you get a lot of exercise because you're cleaning hotels. You understand how much exercise that is? 
like pushing that cart around all day and doing all the stretches that you do to, to make beds, cleaning up, like just walking around all day, like you get an unbelievable amount of exercise. And they shared with them about like the different ways that they're getting exercise and all the calories that they were burning. And they asked them during the month of that study to not do any sort of extra exercise. They brought them back together a month later and the group that hadn't heard this spiel, everything basically remained the same. But almost every single one of the group of 42 saw a decrease in their systolic blood pressure, lower weight, a better waist-to-hip ratio, which I hadn't heard before, but that sounds nice, (laughs) and a 10% drop in blood pressure. All because somebody told them, hey, you're doing exercise. And took time to basically say, like, think positively about it. You're not just somebody who, like, needs to, like, oh, you just need to, every time a commercial for a gym comes on, feel guilty because you're actually already getting exercise. Just basically keep doing what you're doing. And they found that just by telling them this, generally people, like, practice some better habits because they heard these words that said, you're actually exercising. That's just, like, a simple idea. But we have no idea how much we can bless people by just sharing some words. Maybe somebody you don't even know very well. Commending someone at at a restaurant who who serves you well. Taking time to go out of your way to share a word with your neighbor, maybe who suffered some loss, and you're going over to say, you know, I I really am sorry about that. Something like this just reminds me of how much of an impact our words have can change the world around us. And what if all of us collectively said, I want to to share words this week that will be beneficial. I want to share words that are a blessing. If we all did that, I think we'd realize that our words weigh a lot. And we might not get results right away. We might not get to see the things that we are able to put out into the world right away. But just trust that if you try to live from this perspective, it'll have a positive impact on the world. I wanted to have Jasmine come up for a minute, and she's going to share an experience that she had when she was here for the, the first part of, of this series. She said, I have something that I have to share uh, about this. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I am happy to do it. Hi. This is Hello, Jasmine, everybody. if you don't know Jasmine. Hi, my name is Jasmine. For those of you who don't know me, and if you don't, we should hang out, because I like to talk, which you'll see very soon. Um, so my name is Jasmine Guevara, or it's Yasmin Guevara, depending on what latitude you grew up in. And that's about how arbitrary that definition is. Um, but my story is about growing up in the U.S., Um, I was born and raised here, but I didn't speak English until I was about, whenever you start preschool, that's when I learned, because nobody at home knew it well enough to teach it to me. Uh, My parents immigrated here from El Salvador, and kind of, we all figured it out together pretty quickly. Um, But I grew up speaking Spanish fluently, I was a native speaker. When you learn it in preschool, which I did English, you also speak it fluently. 
I hope you guys can tell by now <laughs> that I am actually fluent in English. You're pretty good. You're pretty I'm good. pretty <laughs> good. You and I'm getting across. Um, but I never had really like two feet in one world. So anybody who's grown up, I think, multicultural, and honestly, if you grew up in a major U.S. metropolitan area, you kind of grew up multicultural. Um, you've grown up with feet in multiple worlds. So you start in like Salvadorian world, U.S. world. But when you start kind of growing up, I feel like in figuring out your identity and who you're supposed to be, it kind of feels like those two things start like that like slapstick comedy bit where they're like coming apart and you feel like you're falling. Because you don't know who you are and you're not grounded in one of them. So I know how ridiculous this desire is now that I'm 22 and know a little bit better. But I always wanted to have an accent in either direction. I just wanted to either speak Spanish super well and English not well, or it like the other way around. I forgot which one I just did. But, <laughs> but I wanted one, and I realized like it's kind of goofy, but I just wanted a way to prove an allegiance either way. Like, I wanted to be like, I'm on this team or I'm on this team, so I know who I am. And it was always this kind of really, like, disruptive feeling inside. Um, and it was kind of even more so because I grew up going to Van Nuys Church of Christ, which I don't know if anybody's familiar with. But it had, at that time, both a Spanish ministry and an English ministry. My dad at that time was a deacon, is now an elder of the Spanish ministry. At that time, also, all the Branhams attended the English ministry. Um, so I say around, like, 10 years old, when you start getting really good at English, and you start getting really American, and you start hearing your parents talk to you in Spanish, and you respond to them in English, and your life starts changing a little bit, I started trying to go to the English services because I felt like I kind of understood it more and identified more with, like, the American side of everything. So I started going to a couple of the youth classes in English. And those classes were taught by Paul Branham. And one day, when I walked out of that class, um, I had shared something or other, probably similar to this, something about Spanish, probably not as, not coherently. <laughs> but Paul Branham just kind of walks out, super offhand comment, and he's, I keep calling you Paul Branham, like a celebrity. <laughs> Paul says to me, Paul says to me, he's like, you really don't have an accent in English or Spanish. Like, you, like, you speak Spanish, like, you're, you were born there, you speak English, like, you were born here, and I was like, thank you, it was. Um, but he said it in this tone where he was like, almost, do you remember this? <laughs> Barely. Okay, see, great thing, because offhand comments literally informed my entire career. Um, <laughs> But he said, you don't have an accent either way. Like, that's so, like, whoa. And I was like, is he, like, impressed by that? Like, is that a good thing that I don't have an accent in either English or Spanish? I was like, are you telling me my cousins were wrong for, like, calling me whitewashed for, like, four years? <laughs> so I, it was the first time I heard my, like, bilingual asset phrased as an asset, which now I know it to be that. But it was the first time I kind of heard it as, like, something that made me more, have more to give back and more of a means to give back um, than just speaking one language. Um, so it 
completely like flipped everything about how I saw having two cultures, like that's an asset. Having like this huge blessing, which I wanna like really impart to anybody here who speaks more than one language, who's trying to speak more than one language, or who's even like trying to get to know somebody from another like community. Like we have this like extra blessing of an extra hat that God has given us to wear as a bridge builder. So in times I think that are can feel like especially divisive, we have like such a powerful tool, like such a powerful tool where we can exist as like the human bridge between these things. Because in places again like Los Angeles, you'll get these different communities where culture matters and it plays into your identity and it's a part of who you are and it's important. And these cultural worlds exist kind of like, it's like these different spheres that exist in one place, in one geography. And we get to live in two of them or three of them at the same time. And the biggest thing is that we get to show people who might not necessarily get to do that yet how, what they have in common with each other because we can communicate with people in both of those spheres. Um, so I'm very nervous, I'm so sorry that my voice has been shaking so much. But I think that's such, I never saw it as a blessing. And that one comment from Paul like really flipped everything for me. I ended up studying, um, doing basically half my coursework in college in Spanish, um, studying Latin America and like everything that I loved about it and doing all these like very special things. Um, and it just kind of really lays out like three huge things. God made this world multicultural for a reason. I think it teaches us empathy. It teaches us how to step outside of our shoes um, and how to see things from a new perspective, which I think who can't take more of that. Um, very grateful for my family for setting me up to be this extra like bridge builder to the world and to Paul for speaking his mind and telling me that, and you changed my whole life, so thank you. But that's all. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you, Jasmine. Um, and I, I hope we all recognize that just even in like those small offhanded com comments can make an unbelievable difference on people in our world. So I hope that we would build each other up in the way that we speak. Uh, we're going to do a... a duet song right now um and then i if the if the worship team could come up they'll they'll sing and close us up after uh but we thought to celebrate this um what she just shared with us we want to sing um jesus loves me in english and then a verse in spanish and i know a little bit of spanish but not that much so i need need your help on that anybody who did like lausd high school yeah you're probably, probably good um, like you're on the hook but let's, let's stand and sing this together. We just have a couple verses, and then the worship team can get ready, and they'll close us out. And um, the song that we sang earlier 